You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Ka'unik Literature, and today we embark on what I think needs to be a multi-part series exploration of Sadian. And the truth is, we could probably have a whole series of lectures that probably could go 25, 30, 40 classes about Rafsadigoy. There's no question about it. I want to zero in on a specific aspect here, which is Sadia before he was going. And this is not so simple as you would think. Um, as we know, there is um, uh, almost a, a mania in the Haskola world of how great Sadia was. Um, and I would say part of it was sort of like touched off in the mid-19th century with all the discoveries of uh, bits and pieces and fragments of Sadia's works. But there was also more than that. It was more than just the discovery of his works. There was also the spirit of rationalism, uh, the, 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 strength, the strength and the modern aspect of Sadia that made him the darling, really, of so many historians, historiographers, and writers. Um, and by the time, as you can see, the Oitzi Yisrael, which is reflective of a, a, a person who's a Sadiophile, Rav Sadia writing um, 25 Sfarim. And some of them are not just like little throwaway books. We have books on all the mitzvahs. We have a, a commentary on the whole Tanakh uh, with, a tra- with an Arabic translation. All of the books, um, almost all of the books written in Arabic. There are some that are in Loshna Kodesh, it would seem um, incredible, especially when uh, we take the Sefer Kabbalah's view of how long this man lived. According to the Sefer Kabbalah, um, which was written by someone who's known as the Raivad Harishon, that's not to be confused with the Ravad Bezdin or the famous Raivad who was known as the Balhasogas of the Rambam. His book, which is a book of history, uh, has uh, the death of Sadia occurring. And that seems to be clear in what we would call the year 942 uh, of the Common Era. Um, and he says clearly that he died when he was 50 years old. And what's incredible, of course, is that according to that version, Sadia uh, becomes the Nossi, sorry, he becomes the Goin of Sura at the age of 36. And in 14 years, despite all the other communal activities, um, you know, would he have been able to manufacture and write uh, these works? We know Amunas Vedeus was written late, but in the Amunas Vedeus, he actually, which is the most famous work, I guess, of Sajigoyen, but in the Amunas Vedeus, he mentions his previous works. He mentions a number of works that he'd already written. So therefore, it would seem that even before uh, he becomes going, and and actually the, uh, we have discovered in the Geniza that he was not, that this, the Raivad made a mistake. He was not 50 when he died, which would have been incredible that even at the age of 50, he could produce such major philosophical, thoughtful, uh, 
re redoing the the wheel type of works, writing not just like the Baal Halochos Kedolos, like a, a kitzer of Halochos, but basically reformatting the way Halochos should be written from a logical standpoint that we spoke about Rav Hai, who followed them in the Rambam, of course, as well. That at the, at the fifth, only living fifty years to be able to do this, besides all the traveling that he did, so it's 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 probably it's a hundred percent true that he lived to be sixty, and that his birth was not in what we would call the year eight, uh, eight ninety two, but eight eighty two. But still, even at, at from sixty to accomplish what he did, the expansiveness of his work is immense, and because of that. Um, it's clear to me that his early works, and one of them for sure, uh, we're going to talk about tonight, uh, were done before he was uh, designated to be the Gain of Sura. Now, we can, we're going to talk about exactly how that happened. It was unprecedented. Rav Shiragon mentions how there had never been a Gon that had, hadn't been from born in Babylonia, born within the families. He was known as the Fiyumi. He was known from Pisoim, Pisiomi, which is, of course, like Pisom and Ramses, which, of course, have featured prominently in the Parshios. Uh, Pisom is the is uh, is P, is Fiom, and he was from that place in Mitzrayim, but clearly uh, he left Mitzrayim. Um, uh, as Simcha Saf has pointed out conclusively in his book on the Kupus Agrena Besafrusa, Sadia left somewhat on the early side his uh, his uh, where his perch in Mitzrayim, and from there he went there to Israel for six years. Um, he went there to Israel when he was approximately in his early 20s, and there he uh, came to know one of his combatants, who we're going to talk about tonight with Rabbi Bechafer, who has written a scholarly article on this, Ben Mayer. Um, and it was after his six-year sojourn in Eretz Yisrael that Sadia made his way to the other great center, to Bovel. And even though one gets the impression from the Sefer HaKabola that, he, oh, the the Reish Galusa decided to reach out and bring him from Mitzrayim, Simcha Saf is correct, as are others, that he was learning in the other yeshiva in Pumpadisa beforehand. So he had spent years in Mitzrayim. He had spent years in Eretz Yisrael. He had spent also six years, almost six years, a learning in Pumpadisa before in the year 928 that he became the Goin of Sura in a stopgap measure to, to allow that yeshiva to have some sort of reformatting. And not just that yeshiva, but perhaps as others have rightly said, the whole concept of what a thinker and a Rosh Hashiva should be. Um, he not only was able to incredibly within a couple of years reestablish Sura, uh, but he was also able, I believe, to have an influence on 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 the co yeshiva Pumpadisa, but also beyond. Um, now, the, the Sefer Hakabola also writes, uh, and again, this is writing in the 12th century, that it was he believes that Sadia wrote his works, all of his works, post the time that he was gone. Because for seven years, and it's very strange to uh, to comprehend, he was under attack 
In other words, he got into a the same person who had appointed him when Saji refused to kowtow and rubber stamp his psukim. Uh, Saji was under the threat of death and had to hide. And again, whether this is true or not, or this is a, a fiction, he definitely was in, in a situation where he was uh, worried about what was going on. But the way uh, the Sefer Kabbalah has it, whether I don't know what his traditions are, how accurate they are, he comes up with this idea like Shimon Bar Yochai, that he was in this cave uh, and he was in this place uh, where he was able to write all of his works. I don't think that is true. Um, I think he was writing works incredibly his whole life in Mitzrayim, in Eretz Yisrael, in Bovel. And I believe one of the reasons why he was called to become the Gaon, and maybe the prime reason was, was because he defended the Chachmei Bovel. The reason why he defended the Chachmei Bovel was because they were under attack by someone he had encountered in Eretz Yisrael, someone who knew him, Ben Meir, sometimes referred to as Aaron Ben Meir. And the issue that... Uh, he defended the Chachmei Bovel. He defended them with something that they had, uh, an area that for hundreds and hundreds of years they had taken control of, and that was determining what the Jewish calendar would be. Ben Meir uh, felt, and Rabbi Bechopper is going to explain exactly what was going on between them, but it was Sadia's defense and ultimate victory, and it took a couple of years till it settled, that convinced the Reishkoli that Sadia was the man. So really, this controversy and Sadia's brilliance and his ability to understand the issues, explain them, and win is what really propelled him to the position of influence and prominence, um, along with all the works he was writing. So this is really, although chronologically, there might be steps before this in terms of what he wrote against the Karaites, and we can deal with that perhaps in weeks to come, this issue, the Ben mayor controversy is really the biggest one, the one that gave him the most credibility in Bavel uh, and allowed him uh, the type of respect and power that he was able then uh, to use to influence even further. Uh, the Ben Mayor was Rosh Hashiva in Eretz Yisrael, and it seems that he and Reb Saitagon were, were um, acquainted with each other from their youth. Evidently, Rabbi Arman Mayer is studying Mitzrayim, or that's uh, something that passed around to Son's way to Bavel. I don't know exactly, but there was uh, some connection between the two of them, which preceded the controversy. And Rabbi Arman Mayer was uh, the, um, the head of the yeshiva in Tveria, which was probably the only yeshiva in Eretz Soil at the time, uh, at least the only prominent one. And he had a status which the Encyclopedia Judaica calls, sorry, Wikipedia calls that of a Nazi. And that of the head of Sanhedrin, there was no Sanhedrin, there was no Nasi, but the Rosh Hashim and Eretzisol assumed a similar status, despite the fact those institutions ne- did not exist. And one of the rights of the Nasi, of, or rather the Rosh Hashim, I'm sorry, one of the rights of the Rosh Hashim was that every Oshana Rabbah, he would go up on top of Harazesim, yes, they would make a pilgrimage to Yushalayim for the Yom Tovim, and he would announce what the the careers of the following year would be, what the calendar would look like the following year. And in 921, Rabbi Aram was expected to announce that the following year, Rosh Hashanah would occur on a, a Thursday. And uh, as a result, both, both uh, the Cheshvan and Kitsay, the two months which vary in length, would be 30 days long as opposed to 2930 or 2929. 
But Rabbi Rameir said that, no, Rosh Hashanah the following year is going to be on Tuesday. And therefore, both those months are going to be in short months of 29 days. Because you, you, know, you wouldn't need the additional two days to get up to Thursday. And uh, it was, this was an unexpected announcement. It was uh, remarkable because it, it went against the tradition which we have from, we assume, the time of uh, the Hill Hashani, from the time of Bayan Rav and Kutzlaretz, from the time of the Shikmara, that if the Molad occurs on a Tuesday uh, uh, after nine hours and 204 Chalakim into the day, that that uh, Molad, that Rosh Hashanah is put, pushed off, can't push on to Wednesday because we'll have the Rosh, well, Rosh Hashanah can now come out on Wednesday, so that's he pushed off to Thursday. But Rabbi Mayer said that he had a Missouri, he had a tradition, that there's a leeway of 642 halakim. Uh, beyond that, uh, the, beyond the uh, nine hours and 204 halakim, you have an additional 624. And to pause within that, that grace period of 624 halakim, 642, sorry. If you pause that grace period of 642 halakim, you don't have to push up Rosh Hashanah. And this became a huge, huge machlokas, a tremendous uh, a source of controversy between Babel, where they assumed that the following Rosh Hashanah would be on a Thursday. Uh, and as so, it had just been announced on the preceding Hoshana Rabbah that the following Rosh Hashanah would be on a Tuesday. And of course, the first holiday with the coming issue is not Rosh Hashanah. The first holiday coming issue is Pesach. Because since the months which vary are in the, in the winter, for the winter, so therefore by the time Pesach comes around, you already have the discrepancy. So there was a tremendous, tremendous uh, issue of whether Klai saw that you would keep two, two Pesachs, one in Eretz Yisrael, one in Chutzlaretz. Actually, one in Eretz Yisrael, it's in Byron's, and the other in the rest of the Jewish world, which is in fact what happened. That year, there were two, in the, in the environs of Eretz Yisrael, Pesach was kept uh, two days earlier than it was kept in the environs of Baba. And there's a tremendous, tremendous uh, dispute as to what exactly the right of Bavel was, and this is Rabbi Mamir's main claim against Ritzadigon, is that the, what was the right of Bavel to determine something which, according to the Rambam, was exclusively the purview of the Chachamim of Eretz Yisrael. Amon says that the Ruach must be determined in Eretz Yisrael. If nobody's determined uh, uh, um, actively, then it go, it's determined passively by the assumption that it follows the, the principles which are laid out in the Halacha. But in any event, were there no Jews in Eretz Yisrael, then there could be no Luach. Luach would fall apart. This is Ramam writes. Ramam writes that there is a um, promise that never, Eretz Yisrael will never be bereft of Jews. There will always be at least 10 Jews in Eretz Yisrael. So, since that's the case, Ramam may had a very simple point, which is very hard for Ipsadia to overcome. The assumption, which the Rambam records 100 or so, 150 years later, which is, or so, that uh, the Eretz Yisrael has primacy in the Luach. And in fact, the Rambam does not allude explicitly but he seems to uh, implicitly reject Rav Gon's position and say that Rav was not correct about this because uh, the Luach has to be determined in Eretz Yisrael. But uh, the uh, Rav Meir's obviously represented his own uh, uh, his own shita, which was a novel one. And Rav Gon seemed to be representing the Mitzorah, which was but the uh, tradition which was accepted right from the time of the Shas. And Sadiqon himself had a claim. He said that there was about 100 years previously, 
that had been a tremendous uh, uh, conference where the Chachamim Abavel and Chachamim Eretz all gotten together. And Chachamim Abavel had learned the, and mastered the Luach from the Chachamim Eretz And that as a result, there is a, uh, the Chachamim Bavel now have a supremacy over Chachamim Eretz at least on equal footing with the Chachamim Eretz because they, had, they acquired and mastered this knowledge. Uh, that uh, again, that uh, might work, might work out. Does not work out well for the Rambam, but there is a Ramban. Ramban does argue with the Rambam. The Ramban holds that it's not that the Jews in Eretz Yisrael who live there every uh, uh, every year are tacitly uh, uh, formalizing the Luach. Rather, the Luach was formalized by the Lashani prospectively for all time after his uh, his uh, determination. And that uh, he was with as the last summer, last person with Shusmicha was Makadish all the Rashi Chadashim Adbias Mashiach Tzikenu until Mashiach comes. So according to Ramban, there is certainly room for a Sadigon's uh, uh, position, and uh, it's possible that that is the case. Uh, another th- one of the things that Sadigon claimed in this Machlokas, which is also a very interesting, is that the Ruach is absolutely fixed. And that there is no, there really was no uh, validity to the Edu Sachodesh, which took place and is a great part of our Kamara's uh, discussion about the Luach that uh, in determining the calendar. It's purely a matter of Cheshbon, purely a matter of reckoning. And therefore, he is of the opinion of Sari Gong and Rabbi Hanano, Rabbi our Torah quote him about this that Yom Tabsheni was already kept in the, in the midbar. Because there was no new uh, addition to the calendar at any time in history. The calendar was given with full cheshven at the time of Harsina. And therefore, any, uh, anything which we have in the Gemara about bringing Adim, even Michal Shabbos with Adim, is in order to demonstrate that our cheshven, our reckoning is correct. But it's really the reckoning which we line, which of course then diminishes the importance of uh, any basing in there as well, because it's just pure reckoning. And therefore, we can go. Kutzlaritz has the um, can have equal footing when it comes to reckoning, perhaps even greater footing. They're greater mathematicians than Eretz Yisrael. Yeah, one, one of the one of the proofs that uh, Sadia mentions that Rechanano quotes is that since Kiddush Hachodesh was happening in the midbar, and in the midbar, he says because of the Anan Hakova, the Anan Haish, and the Anan uh, uh, that was circumventing, stopping any viewing of the moon. That's one of his proofs that that, that there was already Yomim Tovim Bimeya Midbar. It was impossible to see anything. So therefore, it must have been just the calculation. This, this was the time, the heyday of the Karaites was uh, in the early 900s. And um, the, uh, this, this Machlekes caused great jubilation among the Karaites because the Karaim we're, uh, we're basically arguing that Tarsh is made up and it's not part and parcel of uh, authentic Judaism. And that the, 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 uh, the years ago there was a website, I don't know if it exists anymore, it's called Karite Corner. Karite Corner with a K. Karite-corner.whatever.com or org. And if you open up this website, they talked about their public enemy number one, the Wicked Witch of the West, in the in the for the Karoim was Rebsadigo. He fought the the, the, the Karoim tooth and nail. 
Bob Rome will tell you tell you at length. But right. the, the, that's the one of the books. One of the books that he mentions in Amunas Vedeus is his uh, attacks against Chivia Balki, who Ebenezer, of course, calls Chivia Kalbi. So yes, uh, that's one, and it seems that's also an early work of Sadia before he ever became a Gon. Uh, he was already because uh, Mitzrayim, Rabbi Yosef, where he was born, was a Karite bastion. It was a place that uh, even when the Rambam came there hundreds of years later, uh, he had Karaites all over the place, and they were ruining all the the lochas of Mikvoyas. So yes, uh, Sadia was fighting them. He was there, as you say, uh, their public enemy number one. And he also did, uh, again, we're going to talk about it in a different class, but Sadia's topsir, Sadia's parish on the Mikra, was in many ways uh, a proof that we know what the Mikra is about, don't tell me that they know. And that's part of the reason why he put so much energy into his, his parish on Tanakh. But go ahead. So the Kachanites rejoiced at this Machlekes because it showed that uh, the, um, the Mitzorah of the, uh, the, the Rabbanim, I should uh, let me go off a tangent and say something which I learned relatively late in life, uh, is that the Tashbates says the reason why uh, Jews call each other Reb so-and-so. Reb so-and-so is, is to distinguish ourselves from the Karaim. So saying Reb is, means we are, we believe in the, the Rabbanim. We are Rabbanis. So therefore, the, the, title, the title Reb, Reb whatever, is uh, in fact a shorthand for Rabbani. And this way we're all addressing each other as adherents of Rabbinic Judaism as opposed to adherents of Karaite Judaism. So the, the, there would be the Rabbani versus the Karai, we're the Rabbanim. And uh, they, of course, the, the, the Simcha Vesasam, La Karai, and this uh, is Machlekes between Rabban ben Meir and between uh, Sadigon. And therefore, um, there was, uh, uh, it obviously was a tremendous Hashem in that every, or the Rabbinic Judaism looked like it was in disarray and discombobulation. As a result of this Machlekes. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think, in, in terms of the Karaites' uh, take on things, Rabbi Yosef, I believe they were much more in line, which we know from the Baitusim, from the Gemara Menochlis. They didn't have a Messiah or see any proof in the Mikra itself that there was an Edis for Kiddush HaChodesh. So, uh, even though they were happy with this Machlekes, they probably were Noita more to Sadia's sense of how the Yom Tevim developed rather than... Uh... Such an issue was in um, was in uh, in um, 1844 when Rosh Hashanah came out on Shabbos, but according to Ben Meir, it would have come out on, on a Thursday. And the next time it happens is in 2025. It happens very, for some reason, which is, it happens Every few centuries, it happens in very many in, in three or four, three, three or six close years, like in 2025, 2028, and 2029, this issue will arise. So, in 2025, Rosh will be, according to us, on Tuesday, according to Rev. Aaron Mayor, on Monday, 2028, Thursday, and Tuesday. In 2029, Monday and Shabbos. Um, then it doesn't happen again until 20, 2247. But I, you know, I'd be interesting to see. I, I'm sure it won't happen. But it'd be interesting to see if somebody actually came up with a chumrah in 2025, in two days' pace, out of two days' Rosh Hashanah, to take into account the sheet of Rabbi Mayor.
there any way to encapsulate, or is this too complicated to understand the Asidus of the Machlekas? Well, nobody knows, no, every, uh, things like this, nobody knows. There's a tremendous polemics back and forth, and vituperous polemics between Rabbi and Rabbi Gon, but no, nothing sums up, nothing actually gets to the heart of where Rabbi Meir had the 642 Chalaki. He said, basically, he said, I'm Eretz Yisrael, and you're Bavel, and you have to listen to me. Rabbi Gon was saying, no, we don't have to listen to you. So there have been many, uh, many uh, um, uh, suggestions over the years as to what Rabbi Meir's uh, uh, position was based on. Some ascribe it purely to politics, some ascribe it to uh, uh, other motivations. Um, uh, I uh, myself wrote in my article, the article I wrote with uh, Rabbi Dr. Ari Zivotovsky, first in English, and then my Hebrew article, suggests that it has to do with the international dateline in Aloha. Uh, which has to do with where the last, where the day ends and the day begins. And as a result, where uh, the, the last possible sighting of a new, the first possible sighting of the new moon would be at the very edge of the earth. The earth is round, of course, at the very edge of the circle, which is somewhere in the vicinity of China. And uh, because this, uh, the, the, the chios are based the pushing off of Rosh Hashanah is based on the sides of the Rosh and the principle of Molad Zokin. Molad Zokin is that if the Molad occurs after noon in Eretz Yisrael, so then you have to make uh, that, the, the, you have to push off Rosh Hashanah till the following day, or two days later, depending on uh, what the uh, configuration is. And uh, Rabbi Aramir basically said you have six hundred point two after noon, uh, in which you don't have to uh, push off Rosh Hashanah. And uh, the reason why I push up Rosh Hashanah, Molotokin, is because the way they were explained, according to Kuzari, according to the others, more, is because since the, the, uh, the world goes for 18 additional hours beyond Yerushalayim, because Yerushalayim is in the middle of the upper hemisphere, so to speak, the day begins six hours before Yerushalayim and goes around the globe as it begins and begins and begins. So, and the Molad usually cannot be seen. The new moon cannot be seen after the Molad for usually around 24 hours. So therefore, the, uh, if the Molad occurs after Chatzos in the Yushalayim afternoon, so then the Molad will not be seen anywhere on, let's say, the Shabbos. We'll show the discussion on Shabbos. The Molad happens after Chatzos and Shabbos. It's not going to be seen anywhere before the end of Shabbos, anywhere on earth. But the Molad happens before noon. It's going to be, could be seen right before Shkia in China, 18 hours away. So therefore, my contention was in, in the article I wrote, and I, you know, that's I'm, you know, don't don't claim to have the uh, any uh, any any specific uh, um, uh, truth attached to my uh, my uh, suggestion, and more than any other suggestion, suggestion is that Rabbi Mayor actually determined where there was a Jewish community in China at that time, which was Kaifeng. And he reckoned that, that it's not precisely 90 degrees away from the line. It's about, uh, it's a, a, a little bit less than that. Uh, around 642 Halakim distance, which is about 35 minutes uh, uh, away from, the, uh, away from uh, by the by moves of the sun, away from 90 degrees. And therefore, he determined that since it goes by where a Jew could see the moon, and the last, the, that's where the line goes. Therefore, since the, the line would go with the last Kitsei Yeshuvas, so an Kitsei Yeshuvas not quite in 90 degrees, but a little bit closer in, 
So therefore, they gave an extension of about 35 minutes, and that's where the 642 Chalakim came from. And one, other, one, uh, one point is that which I'd like to make is that we don't announce on uh, 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 before Tishrei, the Moila, and I'm a Barakhodesh Tishrei. And nobody knows exactly why. There's various different reasons which are given. But whether my suggestion is correct or not, regardless, I think the reason that I'm a Barakhodesh Tishrei is for this reason we don't want people to know the Moila of Tishrei. But the people know the Moila of Tishrei, they can cause all sorts of problems because they're going to start uh, uh, provoking again machlekes, like the environment mayors and to the Moler of Rosh Right, even though they could sort of figure it out based on the Moilad of Elul, right? They'd yeah, most people are not going to go through trouble. <laughs> I mean, again, all you need to do is know the 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 uh, days and Chalokim. So the article that you wrote uh, was way back in, uh, was it 2002, right? I think so. Did you get what sort of response did you get? Well, in the English article, we got a tremendous amount of negative response um, because uh, we suggested that uh, the Molad, the, the Luach could not have been absolutely fixed. Otherwise, this Machlokas could not have occurred. And uh, the, 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 the um, doctrinaire Shiva line is that everything was fixed at the time of Hill Hashem. It right. seems and, quite clear from numerous sources that's not the case. Yeah, because again, the, as not only the Rambam and Sefer Mitzvahs, but it, it seems to be something that was only the Kabbalah of the Spanish Rishonim, the Ramban and Sefer uh, Zachut and others. But it's definitely, it, it doesn't rear its head throughout uh, the medieval literature. So I think you were on pretty good grounds there. In other words, you, you tried to suggest that to that this Shtikel of the Ramban is not held by everybody. So you, so from Hillel Nasiya, whoever it was that the last Hillel who made this kvius. So because you wanted to push against that, that's why you had a lot of negative responses. Yes, uh-huh. and that's- I think that that was the reason the, the Jewish Observer at the time, which published the English article, had wanted Novmitskovitz you know, wanted to embark on a series of more intellectual articles. For the Jewish Observer, and mine was the ours was the first, and it was supposed to be the first in that series. I think they abandoned that pro- <laughs> that uh, uh, program because they saw it might be more trouble than it was worth if you write about serious topics. And and the Hebrew article was published in Yeshurun, right? Yes. Did Did you get any response there? No. <laughs> I see. What do you think that indicates? Indicates probably very few people actually read Yeshurun. Even though Yeshurun is a treasure trove of yes. of really great stuff, uh, what Ben Mayer uh, was bristling about, other than uh, the chutzpah, was the fact that uh, the Chachmei Tveria, uh, the Balig Masera, uh, were seeing that they were sort of stripped of all sorts of COVID. Uh There was a lip service paid, even in Rasadia's response. And remember, he was not yet gone. Uh, uh, and and he was writing on behalf of his people, so to speak. Um, there was lip service paid to the primacy of Eretz Yisrael, but they really felt muznach. They and remember the Gaonim in in Bovel were not only had big yeshivas, but they had money. The monies that were coming in from the burgeoning North African and European communities, the communities in Afghanistan, even in in Taman, in uh, Kurdistan, and even, as you said, maybe even all the way to the east, close to where China was, 
those monies were going to the Chachmei Bavel. They're, the Chachmei Bavel had the hegemony, and they, and they also had support from the Reish Galus as well, sometimes one yeshiva over the other. So I think part of what was going on, and I'm not trying to play armchair psychologist, was that, you know, let us have this fig leaf at least. Let us have this. And, and I let us, and therefore, whether you think that whether you think we're right or not, this has been, as you say, our this has been what we've done. And if you strip this away from us, then basically we the the Chachmeir Tisrol and the Yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael um, end up being really a laughing stock. I think that's part of what Ben Mayer is behind a lot of Ben Mayer's anger. Evidently, a significant time of Chacham. So we 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 hope he raised your mind. So therefore, we hope he didn't make up the six hundred four. And I would I would negate or the sheet which holds, like many people hold, that he made up the up the six hundred four to Chalakim in order to uh, recapture the primacy of Eretz Yisrael in relation to Bava, uh, or even to recapture primacy of Eretz Yisrael in just respect to this uh, this area of Halacha. Uh, uh, it could be that he would not have been a strident in his uh, holding up of his Masoira, of his of his uh, psak, had it not been the, also this underlying current. But that's why it's important to try and base the 642 Chalakim not in the politics itself, but in some other legitimate source. Granted, uh, but but we when we have a machlekes that that is Nimshach for years. And it was over two years that this was happening. And, and Simcha Saf says, by the way, an interesting uh, side note, that there were people in Bovel that were following Ben Meir as well, that it, it wasn't so chad v'cholok. There were people who, in Bovel, just like Jews everywhere, uh, they, 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 they didn't march monolithically behind the psokim of the Chachmei Bovo with Rav Sadia as their mouthpiece. Some of them actually in Bovo were keeping the, the, the Pesach like uh, like that. Um, and, and maybe, like you said, there might have been some Achmirim who were doing both, who were who were stopped eating chametz uh, two days earlier and uh, kept uh, kept it two days later. Um, a la you know, what people did in Shanghai, especially when you talked about um, when you talked about the you know the connection to the international differing authorities, uh, don't we have a normal way to uh, settle this? Don't we say something like we go according to the rabim? Or uh, I mean, it, uh, the idea that there could be an argument and then it's not. It's not settled. I mean, I understand we have these things in the Gemara, and then later on we go to a code, and and but I'm just how could it? It seems like we now have ways to work these out. What what did they not have that that allowed this to continue this way? I'm going to let Rabbi Yosef take that. Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, First of all. Of, even if the rabbin were on the side of uh, Bavel, which we assume, but uh, the, that that the mayor's point was that this is a unique area in halacha. Even though you are the majority, and it says in, already in, in the Gemara that uh, the Sanhedrin and Eretz can manipulate Rosh Hashanah and deliberately make it on the wrong day. And even though it's so to speak wrong, they have authority over it. So the mayor was asserting this, this uh, continu- continuity of that authority. He's saying that even if I'm a yachid, 
I'm Yachid in Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, you have to follow me. And that's that. The other, the, the other point is that the, at the time of Rabbi Arma and Rabbi Saigon, there were no codes like the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch. And since there were no codes around like the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch, so therefore, there was no, nothing to ascertain, to, to make a final determination. Now, the codes themselves uh, are a very interesting question. Marashal, we know at the time of the Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan can tell you more about this, was opposed to the idea of the codification of the Shulchan Aruch. But somehow the Shulchan Aruch, and uh, more than the Rambam, of course, uh, got universal acceptance, and so much so that the Tumim says that the spheres win Buruch HaKodesh, the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, and one may not um, argue against the uh, accepted positions of the Shulchan Aruch. Right, right, right. But, but, but Rav Yosef, what Bob, uh, Professor Bob Appleson, is really saying is that even in the Torah we have Achrei Rabin. And, and you've, that you've answered with your first point, that Rabin wouldn't apply here because it's like they're not Bali Dvarim. In other words, Rabin applies, Bob, like let's say in the Sanhedrin, where there's a vote, whatever they would vote on, whether it would be killing the Zalkan Mamre or some other question in Halacha, there would be a question about what the Rabin decides or Bezdin of Chav Gimel deciding. But they're all on the same plane. And therefore, you have this idea of the rove being machria. What Rabbi Yosef is saying is that here, it's almost like they're not players to be machria at all. And therefore, rabim doesn't work. I mean, right, right, Bob? Achri rabim lahatos, the idea of rove consistently, whether, in, and that's, of course, our principle of how we know rove in kashras as well, is where the playing field is equal and there's conversation going back. Um, Robert Kilvich, uh, yes. uh, do you think that uh, uh, a such as this one might have triggered creation of codes to begin with, that people maybe, that Torah Shabal Pei became so diversified that there was no unity? And mm-hmm. maybe, that's, you know a very good, that's a great point, Dr. Kogan, and, and it definitely uh, plays into the intellectual biography of Rav Sadia that we're trying to build, Rav Sadia became really the, the first and foremost codifier. As I said before, what was done before the Lachos Psukos or the Lachos Gedolos was a very uh, untrammeled, wild type of uh, halachic book. Um, it, wasn't, it, it, it wasn't developed with main principle and then detail. Sadia's uh, Natiya to thinking in such a way, probably, again, I think what you're saying is true, that, and especially when he saw there was Machlekes, he felt what he needed to do was uh, write things in a way that was so clear that there wouldn't be uh, those type of issues. I think it's a fascinating uh, suggestion, and it really, it ties in to so much of what Sadia was trying to do in, in, in his, whether it was 50 or 60, an incredibly short life uh, to be able to produce so much, um, I, I would say that. But in, as a caveat, say the irony is that, especially according to my interpretation of the uh, dispute, which having to do with the international dateline in Allah, where it's to be placed, uh, this was never codified the specific topic, and therefore it arose again in the 1940s. And the 1940s, when it arose in when the Jews uh, found themselves in Japan for Yom Kippur. Uh, again, we had a situation 
of a yachid against the rabbim, and the yachid was chazanish against the rabbim, was almost all chachmei Yerushalayim and chachmei Eretz Yisrael who opposed the chazanish, and uh, the, uh, the the yeshiva, the new yeshiva, its official position was the vow the chazanish, not the vow of the rabbim. So in, this is uh, in an issue which is not clarified. And to this very day, it's not so simple to say, I personally hold the Chazanish, according to my analysis of the issue, I think the Chazanish is correct. But uh, obviously, uh, that goes against the Rabbin. I want to point uh, out that Rabbi Badi Yosef says something which is part of his basic approach to Allah. He says, if something is not found in the Rambam or Shulchan Aruch, then we can do whatever we want. We're not, sub- we're not subject to any, for, uh, any specific opinions. Because if it's not in the Ramashulchan Aruch, it's not binding upon us. Um, I think, let me just add a caveat to your caveat. And that is that um, when you have an area, and this gets into the Machokas Beis Hill and Beis as well. Uh, Beis Shammai, the Gemara Nevoma says, were Machadet Etve. When the Gemara says, what about Rove? And this answer of Machadet Etve really puts to the test, what does it mean to be a Talmud Chokam, and what does it mean to be a Bar Hochi, to be able to now count? If you, Shammai said, look, there's more of you Hillelites, but we've got more brains, and therefore we trump you. In a similar way, if you don't know enough about this topic, and I've been doing it for years, and I am the resident expert in it, then it's not like me against you. There, there's, And this is what I think you're saying, that if if, if the international dateline issues of the Kavatarich, as it's called, has the expertise of these Rabbonim and the rest of the world, uh, despite their knowledge in Torah in other areas, are sort of like much less, and, and their knowledge is less, then they don't even count in terms of Rove. Rove depends on a certain equality of, of, of stature. And it could be there's certain areas of learning where it doesn't even be typhus malcolm. A similar idea we find in terms of uh, the level that you need to, to be matar bachar. There's the, the people, they can have expertise in one area, but not in the other. So you wouldn't, if someone did not have the, the schus to be matar bachar, so he, his, his vote would mean, would mean very little. I'm just I'm sort of like backing up what you're saying, but I think it's 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 not necessarily the idea that oh it hasn't been codified. Uh, who, uh, you know, it, it, did Simarman I think did he take on the Chazanish or did he agree with the Chazanish? Oh, he agreed with Chazanish. Right, and I think what Simarman did, or Chaim Simarman, that is, I think he tried to write a sort of like the magnum opus that would put this, read. but that would put this issue to complete rest. Right, Agana Sayer, which he felt would be uh, the standard for this. Of kind Sim, of course, the 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 Rosh Hashiva in Beis Medrash Latayra and the Ili Otsum that uh, uh, again devoted himself, and it probably again sort of like Rav Sadia to to topics that were all over the place and and and, and done usually quite. Right, uh, were there any other issues where? The mayor and Assad disagreed, or this was the only one? No, this is the only one that we know of. Fact, as a matter of fact, they were both uh, arch enemies of the Karoim. And Ben mayor had earlier, before Absadia went to Babel, he had gone to Babel to try and enlist support of the uh, Babylonian Gaonim and the Rabbanim against 
in his battle against the Karaites. And as I said, Sadia was his friend. They knew each other. Sadia knew him from his stay in, 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 in Eretz Yisrael. Um, you know, again, the, the rabbinic world is a lot smaller, Dr. Kogan, than we think. You know, in other words, mm-hmm. they and they definitely knew each other. They had spoken with each other, and I think that's part of what, in a way, um, informs some of the. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 